Hello, and welcome to the Cocktails and Conversation podcast. I'm Dana Marie Rockmore, the founder of the Dinner Party Project and co-founder of The Welcome House. I'll be inviting intriguing guests over to my home to chat about some of my favorite things, cocktails, story, the Enneagram, and rest. This episode of Cocktails and Conversation is brought to you by The Dinner Party Project. The Dinner Party Project is all about connecting humans around the dinner table. Right now, we are mostly based in Orlando, Florida. Whether it's joining seven strangers in an intimate setting around a dinner table or sitting in the street of Orange Avenue with 100 others watching flamethrowers, we love helping people feel connected to others and their city. We also offer private parties. So if you have a birthday, anniversary, team building dinner, or corporate event coming up, we can create a custom memorable event that you and your guests won't soon forget. We also help brands connect with their consumers by exposing their product in an elevated way to their target demographic. So if you live in the Orlando area and haven't joined us yet, what are you waiting for? We can't wait to hear your story around the dinner table. For more information, you can visit us at thedinnerpartyproject.co. Hello. If you would like to follow along and make this cocktail, I just wanted to give you a heads up as to how to make it. It's really, really simple and very, very delicious. So it is a watermelon mint Moscow mule, which as you may have heard are some of my, one of my favorite drinks. Uh, so it's fun to have just a little twist on it. So we've got obviously two ounces of Tito's handmade vodka, and we are gonna pair that with two ounces of watermelon juice. An ounce of simple syrup, some two to three like fresh mint leaves, an ounce of lemon, um, which usually it has lime, but I love watermelon and lemon together. I think it's like a really bright, fresh flavor. So you'll shake that up really good with ice in a shaker, and then you'll pour it into either like a copper mug or a corsicle. They've got these really great like stemless wine um, cups and they're perfect for a Moscow mule and you can also take them with you if you're going somewhere so pro tip um so I hope you'll enjoy that drink that I got to share with my friend Laura Youngkin who is quite the powerhouse she is incredible you'll definitely hear all about her story um in the podcast and uh, she'll talk about she had lived in LA for a long time and then she had moved to Orlando with her husband for a couple of years to do some work for Disney and then they moved back out to LA but while she was here she got connected and came to the dinner party project and it was one that I was hosting in my home my old home over on Westminster and I was there for that dinner and I met her and I was like oh I think that we are probably definitely going to be friends she was yeah so bright and articulate and fun and funny and and we just kind of hit it off so I had done um, a smaller event for women with dinner party and it went really well and it was it was like very what I wanted to be it was connecting it was these brilliant women that I still like most all of them I still am in contact with today and it was a beautiful night and so I had been wanting and thinking about doing something on, on a bit of a larger scale for um, for women. And so when Laura had, had reached out and said, hey, um, would you be interested to partner together for like a large scale women's event? I was all in. 
Um, so that was how Women Lead Orlando was born, and it's really been a solid event for the past three years. Next March, we'll do it again, which will be our fourth year in a row. And um, yeah, so I was really excited to sit down and chat with Laura the day after that we had that we had um, Women Lead Orlando this year. So I hope that you will enjoy her story. Hello, Laura Yonkin. Thank you for being on Cocktails and Conversations. Hello, Dana Marie. Thank you for having me on Cocktails yeah. and Conversations. Oh my gosh, my pleasure. Um, thanks for being in town for of our course. amazing event that we just pulled off. It was amazing, and you killed it. Thank you. It was it was a lot and wonderful. It was and great. All those ladies in one room. Um, so, in wanting to do these podcast I just wanted to chat about like a couple of favorite things with sure. people that I find have intriguing stories and so that's kind of really the the main goal behind cocktails and conversation so we'll start with cocktails of course please I'm, I'm gonna sip mine Salud. here we go here we, we go cheers cheers mm-hmm. we should tell everyone what's in it it's really good good I yeah this is one of my absolute favorite go-to's obviously is a standard Moscow Mule. So we're doing Tito's today. We've got the watermelon juice, <clears throat> it's great. the lemon, the ginger beer, and a little tiny splash of the simple syrup, not hardly at all, and then some mint, which is really refreshing it's on this. Very so We're getting there for Florida. We're getting there to like the warm, the warmness. Oh, it's toasty today. I know. It it's ha- warm. It's been really nice. I know, but is, it's the tide yes, is turning. Yes. <laughs> you and your jacket. I like took off my jacket. I was like, I can't. I cannot. Yeah. Too much. Um, so actually with, com- with cocktails, I would love to know, like, what is your favorite cocktail? What is a go-to oh, for Laura? I'm a whiskey drinker. Okay. So how always enough. have been since I was legally allowed to drink. Fair it's enough. just, and maybe a little before. <laughs> <laughs> um, I really love whiskey. So I'm always going to choose an old fashioned or a Manhattan. Okay. okay. And, um, and I love a good mint so julep. Pretty strong drinks. Pretty strong drinks. Okay. I also love a dirty vodka martini fair enough big time there's this place in hollywood that is one of the oldest restaurants it might be the oldest restaurant in hollywood okay called musso and frank's yes and they're famous for their martinis and man they are potent and they are fabulous so i love a great martini i love a moscow mule in the summer yes um being from texas lots of margaritas sure on the rocks i prefer Mm -hmm. okay um, but yeah, if I'm going to have a drink at home, it's yes. probably going to be vodka with a splash of something if it's dinner Okay. or I'm going to whip up some whiskey. I am there with you. Thank you. Absolutely. Bourbon is like, I've had bourbon drinks mm-hmm. several times on this show mm-hmm. and it's my favorite cocktail is a whiskey sour. Oh yes. So <laughs> I, nothing wrong with that. I love the brown spirits as well. So you kind of mentioned a little bit already, but are there any go-to spots for you? And we should preface that you live in the city of Los Angeles. <laughs> I do live. I've lived in LA since 2007. Okay. Um, with and then brief, with a with brief, brief stint here in Orlando, which was wonderful. I really miss it here. This town is amazing. Fair enough. Um, are you going to ask me my go-to LA drinking spots? Yeah. My favorite place to take people for cocktails is a little spot in Beverly Hills called the Honor Bar. Okay. I love it. It started there. It's connected to a restaurant called South Beverly Grill, and they're kind of taking over this like whole little block on Beverly Drive in the old part of Beverly Hills. And I think they've since opened locations in Montecito, and I think 
Dallas, which is random because that's also my hometown. There you go. That place is fantastic. The cocktails are great. We also have a very strong tiki bar scene in Los Angeles. Okay. <laughs> we have right. some old tiki tea and tiki no are fantastic. And then downtown, there's an amazing, gosh, I don't even know what to call it. A, it's a multi-level bar, restaurant, multiplex. It's, it's It's also a gazillion years old. Okay. Um, it's called Clifton's. It was Clifton's Cafeteria. I want to say it opened in like 1919, I think. Maybe okay. it's 100 years old. Getting close. Uh, well, 1919. Walt Disney, I know. Walt well, T- yeah, I mean, Walt Disney used to go there. It was one part of the inspiration for the Tiki Room at Disneyland. Um, but everybody used to eat at Clifton's, and this amazing developer, Andrew Myron, bought the building and renovated it but they have multiple bars and each bar each room you'd love it they're all themed out mm-hmm. totally differently mm-hmm. it's beautiful the drinks are great yeah i'm into that Sign type of stuff up. it's fun Sign me up very fun yes i wish i lived in la for a very brief time as well mm-hmm. in 2005 i remember so sadly we miss each other because when i lived in la i did not have very much community yeah and I, we were also kind of down south a little bit, right? I was down in, in PV. Palos Verdes mm-hmm. for a while, and then I lived in Santa Monica. Oh, that's right, for a bit. Right, and then I could not find my people. I couldn't find. It takes time. It's so it's big there. Oh so, yeah, it I is. felt it's very massive. Lost. You ha- it's like didn't know where to like didn't really have people to plug me in. Yeah, you. Ha- it I takes just time. felt very lonely. I get it. I mean, I right. lived in New York for a while, and the same, unless you have that built-in community, even though you're surrounded by people. Surrounded by people. You can feel lonely, for yep. sure. Uh, Santa Monica's beautiful. Very beautiful. I mean, I was like, you know, blocks from the ocean, oh, and Alice Verity's is like next level. Like, I was beautiful. Mind-blowingly gorgeous, and I just remember... I could when I lived in Palos Verdes, I could walk to the beach mm-hmm. literally around the corner. But I was like, I miss my family. I and get it. I was like going to the library and renting movies because like I hardly have anybody to connect mm-hmm. with. And it, it, this was 2005. How so old, like, if you don't mind me asking, how old were you back? I was then? 25. You were 20. Okay. Yeah. 25. Mid twenties. Um, anyway, so that was my kind of LA experience. Mm-hmm. So it would have been so much better to have known the cool places to go. I know. And like. And they're constantly right. changing. It feels Fair like. I mean, there's some old school stuff, right? That's yes. been there forever. But kind of like Orlando. I've been impressed the last couple of days. There's a lot of new stuff even since I left in 2017. I love it. So, so you know, things are evolving. Our generation's evolving. also opening businesses. Right. And successfully and doing really well. And I think there's new offerings. But next time you're in LA, I will take you to some of these awesome places. Done and done. We'll have some good drinks. Yes. So my next topic is story. Oh, okay. And I think that I don't want to start off with even just like our story of just how mm-hmm. we met and it's kind of evolved of course over the couple of years. So, do you meet? remember how we met? Do we meet at a dinner? Uh-huh. In my in old your house. house in the yellow house. Uh-huh. But I feel like did we meet each other briefly before then, or did I, I meet you for the first time at that your house? That was like the first time that I remember meeting you. I remember that dinner. It was with Chandra. Yeah. Yes. yes. You showed up, and I had never met her before. And she's fabulous. She was like a last-minute fill. I know. Like she That was filled, a good group. It was an amazing group. But I remember just like being like, you just sit down these random strangers, and I didn't know you from Adam, mm-hmm. and then we sit down, and we have this like amazing dinner well together. it's what it's what dinner party <laughs> project does right I yeah. mean I remember because we were so new here and talk about 
like all of a sudden plopping down in a place where I didn't know anyone. Mm-hmm. Um, I had some friends that I had worked with at Disney, um, but we're living downtown. We're kind of separated from that from the, that world. I didn't right. know anyone. And I'm so lucky to have had a few key Orlando connectors yeah. get me plugged in. I lucked out. I mean, Kelly Cohen. Thank you, Kelly. Um, Is she, she told you about... I think she did tell me okay. about Dinner Party Project. And she's like, this would be a great way to meet people. And she was right. And so I remember signing up for dinner and waiting to find out. Like, you get the email, you know, you're approved. You can come. Right. Um, and it was great to show up. And I met great people that night. And I loved the whole thing. The house, that churro, have not forgotten. Fair enough. The spicy churro. Espresso churro, yep. That was a great night. And then, yeah, I don't know. It feels like kind of a blur to me after that. from there. But I felt like I like you and I like what you're doing. And let's do something together. And then that became Women Lead Orlando. Did. And now you've done it three years. Here we go. (laughs) Next year's 2020. 2020. I know. I was thinking about that Friday. Yes. Yeah. 2020. Um, So I would love to actually be able to share a little bit about your story in the sense of your kind of family of origin. And I think our stories are so interesting because there's so much that happens to us that we Mm. don't have control over. (laughs) The family that we're born into, Mm -hmm. the dynamics that are there, the place in the universe that we're born, Mm -hmm. um, you know, tragedies or, you know, successes. Mm As we are growing up, so much is formative that shapes us into the person that we don't really have control over in that sense. So I would love to just kind of know um, what was kind of like your family of origin like and what was growing up in that environment. Mm, Okay, so. What were your parents like? Great. So I'm, it's funny, I look in the mirror now and I think I'm like a composite of my parents. My dad is a brilliant conversationalist. He's a businessman, you know, but he's a philosopher. Uh, he's a businessman? He's a businessman. He okay. was for a long time. Okay. And uh, he's now, I call him an amateur philosopher. He's incredibly intelligent and cerebral. Um, and re- I was a daddy's girl, big time. Really, really close with him. Okay. And I'll come back to that. Same. Um, my mother is an artist. Okay. And a teacher. She is incredibly creative. She can sculpt, paint, do calligraphy, mm-hmm. draw. She yeah. plays the piano. She wow. plays the organ. She sews. She was an interior decorator. I mean, she's incredibly creatively gifted, but very right-brained in that way. Mm. And uh, a great arguer, which I actually thank her for <laughs> teaching me how to argue because as an entertainment producer, you need to be com- comfortable dealing with conflict. And... Um, and she definitely, my dad's a really great negotiator. Like, so were they always like? No, I mean, I grew up in as an only child, only in the sense that my half siblings were much older than me, and I think I was unplanned. Although my dad says I wasn't, but I'm pretty sure. Right. I, was. I mean, <laughs> surprise! It was like their eighth anniversary trip to Mexico City, and then you know, and nine then months later, comes. right, right. So, um. So I grew up in the house by myself, but I have older siblings. And then my first nephew was born when I was six. So re- interesting family dynamic in that right. way. Um, but my, I mean, I had a pretty nice childhood. Mm-hmm. Growing up in Dallas, I lived in the suburbs of Dallas. I rode my bike everywhere. I'm still best friends with my best friend from kindergarten orientation. She's lived wow. down the street from, I mean, our, our families have always lived a couple blocks away from right. each other. Is she, is she still in Dallas? She's still, yeah, she lives in her house. She lives moved back to into her house that she grew she grew up in with her husband. Yeah, 
And so when I go home, it's like, hey, Mary, you're right here. Right? <laughs> like you Still. have been my whole life. It's right. amazing to have that constant. Grew up riding bikes and, you know, swimming. And growing up in Texas was nice, but mm-hmm. I always knew I wouldn't stay there hmm. from a really young age. I always envisioned I would end up in New York. And I did my time in New York. Right. Um, and I love going to New York for business and pleasure and travel and all those things, but it's not the city for me for day-to-day Was it a draw for other, like, opportunities or to be It was. Well, I grew up um, performing and always wanted to work in theater. I mean, I just knew from, I remember in seventh grade, my sweet dad was so supportive. He let me buy a gazillion books at Barnes & Noble about theater history. So, was there something in New York that drew you to yes. heading yes. that, that so direction? Yes. So, growing up, I was a theater kid, a theater nerd, performing. I played instruments. I danced. So, also, I'm going to segue into my next question, but oh. like, what were you like in middle school, high school? Oh, in high school, hyper overachiever. Not academically. Right. Did not care about grades at all, which huh. people find surprising because right. when I got to college, I was in the dean's list every semester. You know, I my did really well in college with grades. In high school, I just cared way more about the extracurriculars. So I went to the school that had the best performing arts program. In fact, I switched high schools after my freshman year to go to a better theater program. Okay. And in Texas, everything's a competition. So, like, your theater team is, like, competitive. Like, we would go to competitions. Yeah. I I know. It's so crazy. I am not a competition person. It's really interesting growing up. I'm competition with myself. Right. Me too. But I don't care. Like... You but could win, make, I could win. They make everything, everything a competition. Right. So it's like I was in art competitions, music competitions, violin, singing. Um, and then I was on speech and debate team. So doing, you know, what they call forensics, but doing, you know, contemporaneous speech and prose and Ugh. storytelling competitions. And I mean, I won a, you know, big prize in second grade for storytelling. <laughs> I think that put me on a bat. Um, your parents yeah, were here for this? They loved it. They loved yes. it. In fact, okay. they are the only two parents in the world who are disappointed that their child did not pursue acting as a career. They wanted that badly and I think are still like disappointed. They're very proud of me. Right. But I don't think, that, now that I'm a producer, I don't know if everybody quite understands my job. Um, and it's just easier to explain. It's it's easy when you're used to seeing your child perform all, for years and years and years. Right. That that's how you see them. That's how you, that's what you think they're good at. And that's what they thought they would be. Yeah. So I was an acting major at Baylor for all four years, but about halfway through, you know, going back to, to big life moments that right. change you. When my dad was diagnosed with cancer Yeah. and our family went through an incredibly hard time when I was in college, that really was my big change of like, mm. okay, I love, I know I'm going to be in the entertainment business. Business. I know I'm talented at performing or directing or these other creative things, but you know, having my dad bankroll me in New York City for the first two years wasn't going to happen anymore. Right. Or having parental help, which a lot of people need after school. You know, they're very fortunate to, to get that, but I quickly realized that wasn't going to happen. Sure. And I needed to come up with a way to monetize my skill set in entertainment. Um, that was different from what I thought I was going to do. 
but yeah, growing up, it was all about dance competitions. And, and so that brought you to New York? Yeah, that brought or... me to New York. Uh, during college, I got an internship with a Broadway producer, uh, one of my first professional gigs, my first bosses in the city. Yeah. We're still close. She's a wonderful woman. Uh, we really butted heads. <laughs> we, sometimes we still do, but she is a very key mentor in my life. Mm-hmm. And when I was working for her, is she was the first one to say to me, like, Laura, you are great at, you know, having the vision, keeping the vision, drilling through details, organizing people, organizing work and movement. And was this you know, while you were still acting or pursuing I was acting? still acting, but I had started stage managing quite a bit and I really enjoyed it because okay. you're wrangling, right? You're wrangling yeah. actors, directors, designers. You're kind of helping put a show together. Right. And she's the one who said to me, I think you're a producer. Like with all your personality huh. and skill set and yeah. communication and all of that, she's like, I think this is what you would be great at. And being she's a Broadway producer and, and getting to shadow her and see what her job was like. I'm you were like, like, oh yeah, that's probably the ticket yeah, for me. Because growing up in Texas, I didn't have exposure to that Level. side of the business mm. before. Mm-hmm. And so I didn't know what right. are all the job opportunities out there. And I think I work a lot with college students and they say that to me. I just don't know what the jobs are. I'm not sure what's out there. How do I turn this thing I love into a career? Right. right? We're all, we're uh, we're all working on that. Right. Um, but I just didn't know. And so once, and I turned 20 that summer when I was there and I think that was a big turning point for me where I was like, I'm going to be a producer and that's what I'm going to do. And I've now been on that path almost 14 years. So, right. Cool. That was a big turning point, but yeah, New York was great. I did it for two summers Mm -hmm. and a little bit of extra projects and time and different things. But, um, I got into graduate school in LA and that's what took me there and I loved it and I stayed. Yeah. Yeah. So it's so fascinating kind of like how some of the like um, formative elements shape us into kind of like you're saying like, Mm -hmm. oh, my parents were expecting this of me. I definitely went down this road, but that expectation shaped. our circumstances changed. Right. And my dad was diagnosed with very advanced esophageal cancer when I was a freshman at Baylor. Hmm. And he had very intense surgeries. And throughout my entire time at Baylor, he was chemo, radiation, surgeries, hospitals, um, all the way up until about my senior year. Mm. And my parents went through a very hard time. Cancer is very expensive. Yeah. This is just sure. after 9-11. And, okay. he, and so the industry was suffering. He was really big at Deloitte. And they laid off his entire division. So not only was he dealing with the loss of a job and then very quickly after a very serious illness. So my parents sold the house, you know, they had like my Mary. Yeah. They sold the house. This was like the house I hoped, you know, that I would one day (laughs) inherit. I always thought might have my wedding in the backyard. You know, it was a beautiful, beautiful home. Um, and so that was a lot of loss and change during hmm. my college years. Right. And I was also going to a really ritzy, I, I kind of grew up, I'm, I mean, I'll just admit, I had, I didn't have a lot of perspective because I had not, not a giant, but a, a small silver spoon in my mouth and I was incredibly privileged and I worked very hard. My work ethic was there. Right. Especially in extracurriculars, even if my grades weren't the greatest. Um, but I worked really hard and I got into the school I wanted to go to. Um, but my life during 
my college years really changed. And all of a sudden it was like reality. It was reality. It's like I got the rug ripped out from under me. And I was also sad because they had given my dad a pretty severe diagnosis and I didn't think he would live to see me. I didn't do study abroad, even though I really wanted to, because I was afraid he might pass while I was gone. Sure. I didn't want to take that flight. Yeah. So, um, I, yeah, it really changed me. And Baylor is a very, um, elite private school and I just didn't have the resources that a lot of the other students around me did. And that felt challenging. Um, but also really shaped me. How did you come out of that? Well, I mean, I had to work. I Mm -hmm. had to work through school. I always had like two or three part-time jobs. Um, and I just had to... I don't know. I feel like that really forged my character in my late teens and early twenties. And what I'm grateful for is that I learned how to hustle in mm-hmm. college mm-hmm. because I had to pay my own rent yep. and pay for my life and, you know, pay my parking tickets yeah. <laughs> on the campus, which I had many. Right. Um, I really had to learn some of the tough young adulthood lessons during college. So actually, it set me up pretty well when I moved to L.A. where some of my other friends were like, I don't know how to do this. Ooh, L.A. is not and for the faint of I heart. Mean, until I was, yeah. you know, all the way through almost turning 26, I was just, I don't know how I did it, but mm-hmm. I was kludging it together, right. right? I had multiple jobs, multiple lines of income. I mean, there was there a lot. Like $30 left over. Yes, right? yes. So I mean, I, saw, I don't think I ever had more than a thousand dollars at a time in my bank account and that was like on a good day and I'd be like well I have 73 dollars to give me to next Tuesday right. you know I'll figure it out and I did and because I had to do that in college and learn how to budget and manage my money for an entire yeah. semester at a time um you learned it, some adulting skills I did. it set me up pretty well come and then I went to graduate school um because there were no jobs in 2007 when I graduated from college. Yep. Um, and I went everywhere. D.C., New York, Chicago, Seattle. I was interviewing, trying to get a job in the arts. Not happening. Right. Got into my top choice graduate program. So I went. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's when I started working in L.A. and in different you know, film and television and sure. agency desk and things like that. Just kind of getting a sense of the business. So what is actually your, your role or your job? So my role is I'm a producer and I have my own business. So I, f- I technically, I guess, freelance, although I don't... You have clients? Yeah, I have clients. So yeah. it, it feels like, yes, they hire me to come in and do a job for them, but I'm not like curating. Um, uh, yeah, my projects are longer, so it, it doesn't always feel like a, I don't know. Freelance is a weird word. I, I'm, I'm not, I don't know how to So you take on projects yet. and clients? I do. I take on projects and clients. Yeah. Um, so I have a few things going on. So I... I started out working in or wanting to work in scripted television, but in 2008, there was a writer's strike. And in fact, yeah. I, there might be another one pretty soon. Okay. Uh, the WGA went on strike. And so that, this was the office? The time wasn't the office on strike? Uh, I, I, they probably were in 2008. Yeah. yeah. So all scripted TV. So remember like Mindy every, and like yep, DJ, Everybody, DJ everything and, shut yeah. down. Right. So I was in the middle of graduate school trying to get more opportunities to work in scripted TV, which was kind of a dream of mine. And there were just no jobs. Literally at that moment. No jobs. I mean, everything went away. So it was a long time. And that's when reality TV exploded was because Uh, networks needed programming. This is pre-streaming. So um, networks needed programming. And so that's when reality TV really blew up. I know. I know. For the most part? 
not for me. Yeah, me either. And Except for the new Queer Eye. I know, it's so good. I can't. Oh, oh, more Jonathan, Queer Eye. love you. Love you. All of them. All of them are made, I know. Um, so... I was going, oh my gosh, I want to work in scripted and there's no jobs. What am I going to do? Mm-hmm. Um, I was working for a television producer and developer who had been an agent and been the head of comedy at Fox. And, but all the stuff she was working on was now reality stuff and docu stuff. And um, I had done also some production work on a big documentary, but that, all, none of that was my jam. Mm-hmm. But I thought, wow, okay, so no TV. What am I really great at? Well, I'm a theater person. I'm great at storytelling and live experiences. And the best place to do that where you can get a... I was craving a steady paycheck after years and years. I wanted like one job. I I wouldn't know, but I wanted health insurance. Like I wanted one thing. I know. Okay. I wanted one thing. And I graduated from graduate school and was like, okay, I need to get a nine to five. I needed to get something. I interviewed at a gazillion places. I had a couple agencies tell me, like the big talent agencies, which is where a lot of people start in the mailroom there and move way up in the business, tell me that I was overqualified and they didn't want anyone with a master's degree. And I was like, what? Like, why did I do this? (laughs) Um, And I got turned down a lot, a lot Mm -hmm. of rejection that first year, but it was all, it was okay because it led me to the thing I was supposed to get. And in 2011, I started a job at Walt Disney Imagineering where I was responsible for live entertainment development for Disney parks worldwide. We were working on Shanghai Disneyland development at the time. Right. And that job changed my life. And the men who hired me, um, who I just had lunch with last week, uh, the men who hired me into that role really changed my path. Hmm. So that was a big launching point for me. Right. And then after spending some time there, I went over to Imagineering proper, I guess we would call it, um, the larger, uh, part of Imagineering, which designs Disney attractions Mm -hmm. and hotels and dining and all of those types of experiences around the world. And I spent four years working on Avatar, Pandora, Disney's Animal Kingdom. Right. Um, and so did my husband. Heard of it. Yep. Yep. It's pretty great. And I met my husband when I was working there and Mm -hmm. that's what, what brought us out here to Florida for a period of time. Um, and then now I've been on my own about three and a half years. And at first wow. it was a little tough to find my niche. Like sure. how we had moved to Florida. Yeah. And I'm like, okay, I'm now starting a theme park consulting business. And it was cool. I had SeaWorld was my first big client. And that mm-hmm. was really fun. Right. Um, theme parks for some people are like their favorite thing. Yes. I appreciate them and respect how hard it is to build and operate and maintain and make them fantastic. I I appreciate good design and good experiences, but right. it's not my favorite type of project. Um, only because the the cycles are long. I mean, it's five, six years of your life if you are doing it from right. beginning to end. And that's a long time for intense. someone creative who wants to... What's next? Yeah, I mean, Let's I want to see the fruit of right. the work. The labor that you do. So now my project cycles are more like 10, 14, 16 weeks. And that is awesome for me. Mm-hmm. So uh, I started kind of dabbling in the experiential marketing immersive space when I was living out here. And then once we moved back to LA, those were the opportunities coming my way because experiential marketing is 
blowing up. Yes. And yep. brands are investing major dollars yep. in creating meaningful story driven yeah their consumers they do in a memorable tangible way yep. instagrammable let's Mom, be honest right. way but a lot of them want to do story driven narrative i mean immersive experiences and that is just theater that's all it is hmm. and so it's fun um it's fun to do that stuff because it's sort of like what I did at, at Imagineering. We're building an attraction. Last summer, I had to build a house in the middle of a park in downtown San Diego and put a 20-minute right. show inside of it. And it had to host, you know, 4,000 people in four days, and it had to run appropriately. And mm-hmm. it's just it's the same philosophy of building permanent stuff, um, but we're doing it on a much shorter time frame. And right. man, I love you that. You love that? I love that. You love that. I love it. I love getting the show up. It's mass chaos. Mm-hmm. And I love my role of like coordinating and, and really keeping tabs and leading a big group of people towards right. creating something. Pulling really, out something yes, pretty magical. Yeah. Big, big crews big cast a lot of guests a lot of stakeholders and moving pieces but um that stuff's really fun to me so doing a lot more of that work now with various brands right i've met some awesome people in la i kind of found a new tribe that's funny it is i moved home i was really excited about getting back and kind of getting back into the swing of things but Mm -hmm. Things changed while I was gone. People move on. People changed and people started new careers and friends grew apart and, you know, things happen in two years. So I kind of came back and I wasn't quite sure, do I go back and work in scripted? Do I, what am I going to do now? Do I keep the business open? Do I take a full-time job? I was getting a lot of offers, you know, from um, different brands to come in and be the head of experiential or uh, theme park development for movie studios and things like that. I just haven't felt the itch yet to go back in house. Mm. Has there been um, in your career as an adult? Has there been like a seminal moment or a seminal project that you have felt like the most pride in? Of like, I mm. I am so excited that I mm-hmm. pulled this off. Mm-hmm. Sadly, the thing that is my favorite thing I've ever done is still a thing that is a Disney secret. Aha. Yeah. Still. That's hard. Okay. It was a performance and technology project that Disney did with another brand, another big company. And it was my first project that cost over a million dollars to produce, which for me at, how old was I then? 26, 27 was a really big deal. Especially since two years before I was kind of going like, what am I doing with my life? Um, that was one of the best experiences I've ever had. Okay. And it was kind of a marriage of theater and technology and some really interesting stuff. And I hope one day they will at least make it public so we can discuss it. But that was a great experience because of the people. So as you may know, or may not know at all, cocktails are kind of my thing. At the end of a long day, or any day really, crafting a drink, whether it's simple or more complex, I really look forward to a delicious cocktail. Plus it makes all conversations better. Tito's Handmade Vodka is always a go-to for me. It's the perfect thing to have on hand to make just about any cocktail. That is what I love about Tito's. It's so versatile. Anything from a Moscow mule to an elderflower martini to a white Russian. Plus, Tito's Handmade Vodka has won a million awards, but for real. It's been distilled six times and won the SF World Spirit Championship. 
So the next time you are looking for an incredibly drinkable cocktail, pick up some Tito's Handmade Vodka. Plus, you should head over to titosvodka.com to read up more about their story and pick up some delightful recipes. The, the work was cool. What we developed was cool. But um, the people made that one really amazing. I mean, working on Avatar was a pretty big deal. Mm-hmm. And I learned a lot. I made a lot of mistakes on that project. I sure. learned a lot um, during that time. I'm really proud of the Brave Millennial. I'm really proud of what that became. Sure. You know, I hit that milestone without, you know, I set a goal for interviewing all those women and traveling to all those cities and hosting those conversations. Right. And I did it. You did it. Proud of that. Yeah. Um, yeah, I don't know. Each one feels like its own milestone benchmark. or chapter yeah. benchmark in its mm-hmm. own way. What the work I did last summer for Hulu, um, I'm really proud of as well. So I don't know. Cool. So speaking of accomplishing things, um, our next topic is the Enneagram, which is one of my favorite topics that I, I know it is. probably be here till tomorrow. You know way more than me, so you have to educate me. No, it's, there's no, I mean that, I think that's one of the things that I love about it is that, I mean, I, I know somewhat of it, but I feel like there's like an endless amount to know. Mm-hmm. There's books that you can read and podcasts mm-hmm. and, um, just, I think the more that you talk about it with friends or, um, you know, therapists sometimes know a lot about it. And so it's so fascinating. I think to, I think the more self-aware we are, like the better that we can offer ourselves to the world, the better that I can interact with the world, the better I can know how I'm affecting people, which sometimes we all have our blind spots, no Mm -hmm. matter where we are in the Enneagram, no matter where we are in life. But I think the more that we can be aware and work towards being healthy, avoid being unhealthy as much as as much as we can like mm-hmm. there's no obviously perfect person or perfect number mm-hmm. but the enneagram if you're not familiar with it is kind of like a roadmap of personality types mm-hmm. um which i think that is super helpful to kind of see it i think in front of me and visualized how to interact with different personality types I think I feel just sometimes like the Enneagram is is reflective to me on like we are created intrinsically like Mm -hmm. this and like our story helps to shape us but I also think that there's a lot of underlying things that like we didn't choose to how we like people obviously can be presented with the same scenario and we can react very very differently yes someone will react in shame somebody else will react out of fear right and it's not bad or wrong it's just like these are our programmed responses and how interesting that we process things in a much different way in much different light than another human being right so, um, would you, uh, I know you are familiar with some of it and you know, your number, mm-hmm. which I concur and yes. your number, you are a number I'm an eight. You're an eight. Oh, same. I'm an right. eight. I'm an a eight. Female eight. Female right. eight. The world loves a, those. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> It's really easy. It's real, real smooth. Hardest one, I think. Right. Um, Yeah, I'm an eight. And um, what did you think I was before? A three, maybe? The achiever. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I thought that that would be my number when I was first reading through them. Sure. And I think on one of the early, like, fake Enneagram quizzes I did, I think I had a three come back. Right. And that would make sense. I really set goals for myself and I set up things. Yes, I like crush them. Yes, I want milestones and goalposts that I can go and achieve I think that comes but back the from motive the, behind that is is the ape <laughs> you want right. to do something 
different, right? I do. I'm not, and you know what? It has helped me realize that like, I don't always fit in in certain environments. Mm -hmm. Like I found the corporate environment really challenging because um, naturally I want to, I'll look at a situation or, or a project or a goal or right. a thing we're trying to achieve and be like, what is the most efficient, best way for us to do this, to achieve the creative vision that also encourages collaboration, right? I, and we're on budget on schedule and all these things and corporate environments don't always work that way. And I often found myself being the person going, why are you guys doing it like that? That's the worst. Why? This is the worst process. This is Mm -hmm. so not conducive to what we're doing. It's like, you know, so I found that environment really challenging. Now I'm, I've, in the past I felt um, bad about that. I felt bad that I didn't fit in. And now I feel like that's not who I am. It's very liberating. It is. I feel great about it. I don't, I'm not always comfortable with status quo. And if we can make something better or do it better, let's do it. Right. Um, So that's why I think that you're an eight with a, um, a one wing, which is the reformer. Mm, Yes. Um, uh, no, I'm, 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 I'm totally sorry. So there's, there's, uh, no, I think you're up with a seven wing because you're either a, okay, seven, a seven or a nine. nine. So the seven is the enthusiast, which oh, is yes. like you are excited and you want to do all the things all the time. Oh, yeah. Which is um, like you have a lot of energy, mm-hmm. right? Well, yeah. I mean, I as selected. we're getting older, we're getting <laughs> I don't have more quite as much as I did. But I have but been told are, that I was too enthusiastic. So, right. yeah. So that is the seven, yeah. which is very interesting that you want to kind of get in there and you want to do it for the betterment of the project or for yes. the people. And it's not like an argumentative thing, although eights can be argumentative yes. and people don't understand why. Right. But it's like our best selves. So in case you don't know, an eight is called the challenger. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> Perfect. Um, it is the powerful, dominating type, self-confident, decisive, willful, and confrontational. Oh, yes. Um, and I do think that you, the seven wing is the busy, fun-loving type, mm-hmm. spontaneous, versatile, distractible, scattered. Mm-hmm. Um in our best selves, best version of ourselves, we are a two, which mm-hmm. is the helper. the helper. And so the helper takes us to this place of like, we want to see things different and we want to see things better for the betterment of mm-hmm. the project, for the person. We want to, I want to help people see the best versions of themselves mm-hmm. and like, how do we, I think, it doesn't have to be this normal path that people, right. And maybe they don't see that or know that. And so out of out of wanting the best, you offer something that maybe is not the norm. Mm -hmm. I find myself in a position of helping friends, um, in times of intense crisis. Like my mom was, is great in crisis. Something's going wrong. I mean, my best friend like lost her cat who she loved for 15 years. And I, she's in Dallas and I called my mom and said, mom, can you go, you know, my mom's great in a crisis management situation. Um, and I find myself doing a bit of that as well. And as we get older and our problems, everybody's Mm -hmm. lives get more complicated Mm -hmm. and more serious things start to happen. I find myself often playing a role with friends, which I'm honored to play, frankly, which is being there for them in really vulnerable, dark moments Mm. where they need help. And that help could look like, Hey, could you go to the store for me? Or, Hey, could you help me? You know, could you drive me to my therapist or, Hey, could you, you know, support me in whatever way? Um, that's the type of helping 
I also really enjoy doing. Yeah. So how do you think that like your learning about your personality type um, within these parameters helped you to have a greater awareness of like how you interact with the Mm. world? I think my self-awareness, um, And it also kind of pertains to when I was really studying about leadership and what type of leader do I want to be? Because producers are leaders. You're always in a position on your team. And there might be a bunch of people in charge of you or above you, but you're you're leading. And what was my leadership style going to be? And, um, And I needed some time to mess up and make some mistakes and have a few failures before I really figured out like, okay, how do my, how's my personality and my soft skills marry with the technical skills of what I'm doing and how can I bring a better version of myself Mm -hmm. to my projects instead of, um, a reactionary self. Mm. Uh, some of my projects have been so big and daunting and the teams are so big that everybody always feels behind. And when you're working from a place of reaction all the time, nobody really gets to bring their best self. Right. You're never out in front of it. Right. And I had to learn that like, maybe that's how it always was going to be. And I still needed to figure out how to bring my best self to the table. And for me, that means being like a step ahead and being proactive about anticipating the project needs or anticipating the needs of my coworkers. Mm -hmm. I'm kind of the mom (laughs) on projects. Like I'm, I'm the therapist usually with a group of people that I'm working with. I'm the fixer. Something that is a bad. Yeah. It's all those things. So um, come sit on my couch, you know, or like, Oh gosh, we have to call on a, you know, overnight crew and get this thing fixed. Whether it's a personal thing or professional thing, that's usually my role. But, um, I had to learn that sometimes my, um, perspective or my take or my approach or the way I was communicating Mm -hmm. wasn't always communicating what I wanted other people to hear. Hmm. And my dad gave me this book called, it's not what you're saying. It's what they're hearing and reading that and starting to read like the Daniel Pink books and the Adam Grant books and the, um, Seth Godin books, you know, all these books about leadership styles and personalities and all of that really started to help shape me and say, you know what? I need to be, I need to bring my strengths out more um, because when I when I'm constantly reacting, it gives other people license to focus on maybe what I'm not great at, and then that becomes the story. Right. And I had a boss once hmm. tell me, you know, you got to focus on the bigger story. You have to craft a narrative at work. Um, what does that look like for yeah. you? Yeah. What do you like mean? Like in a practical sense, like what is crafting a narrative like with your team look like? Well, in a corporate environment, it means it's, I hate it actually. It's kind of like you have to generate, you have to, you have to generate a perception of yourself. Like you have to kind of create a facade so that people will uh, perceive you the way you need to be perceived in order to get your job done. Mm. I really didn't like playing that game. Sure. I don't, I I was in a position once where I felt like my work was 70% politics and only 30% work. And I thought thought that was very frustrating. Horrible. And it's like, I also experienced, look, I was a young female leader at a big entertainment company, and there's a lot of people who did not like that. They might like me. I used to get a lot of backhand compliments. Wow, for your age, you're really good at what you do. I was like, you're you're amazing for a girl. Yes. Yes. Somebody said that. Wow, for a woman, like... 
Right. I was like, like what? what? <laughs> so the sexism uh, was daunting, and mm-hmm. I found myself constantly being uh, critiqued on my personality, my appearance, my voice, even by other women, um, telling me my voice was... Right not appropriate for my job or something. I mean, just really weird stuff. My voice, let me just get on. I'll just change that. Yeah, I was like, yeah. Oh, okay. Right. Um, so to me, it it meant like, how can you craft this perception? You need to tell the story about who you are and what you do so other people will tell that story too. Ah. I really didn't like that. So now I just try my best to be myself and to support my teams Mm -hmm. the best I possibly can. And I think as I've gotten older, that's become a lot easier. Mm -hmm. And I think that's why I work with a lot of the same people. We we choose to work together again is because we've, you know, we've gotten comfortable and they know that I'm going to be their fiercest advocate. And I think if there's anything Mm -hmm. I've accomplished well, it's people that I work with regularly knowing that I will always have their back go and I will go to bat, bat for them. them. They have seen me do it yep. in a confrontational way yeah. if I've needed to. And, um, I'm happy to play that part so they can go and, and be great at what they do. Right. So as we kind of talked about is, um, female eights often aren't regarded in the most positive mm. light. Mm-hmm. And there's a word, some words out there that sometimes people, <laughs> um, choose to use. And they also tend to think of, um, when like words like bossy or even yep. words a little bit more, um, you know, um, derogatory, derogatory, but not like not right. 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 <laughs> but, um, right. Cause if you are a female and that you are, have vision and that you want to see things accomplished and, and a producer is the one that is, you know, hustling and getting things done. And we just had this event called women lead Orlando mm-hmm. in this year. I would love to, First, give a very brief synopsis of like sure. uh, the theme of this year, and then maybe like one way of like. So it is a learning process. I think that we are so like progressively getting better, and things are mm-hmm. progressively getting more normative t- to have women in these roles mm-hmm. and to have women be to lead often in a very different manner to bring a, a lot of different qualities mm-hmm. and characteristics and also saying like, Hey, we, we do want to get these things accomplished and I'm going about it in this way. Cause it doesn't have to be what's gone before. It can be right. a new wave of leadership, right. um, which just like gives me chills. Um, but yeah, I would love to hear maybe like one effort that you kind of employ when you're saying like, Hey, I'm here. I'm ready for this. I'm not here to be boss. Like I'm not, mm-hmm. the, in- the intention is never like, Hey, I'm here to dominate. I'm here to be bossy. I'm here. I'm not here to be some other words, but I am, I am here to be taken seriously and to right. be on the same level because I can accomplish. Right. I mean, I think, you know, if we zoom out big picture here mm-hmm. as a society right now, we're having a reckoning with gender parity, right? And we're having a reckoning all the way from the extreme of sexual assault, all the way to little stuff. And microaggressions and just educating, um, more people about how to treat not just women, but anybody who is considered other. So if you're not white and male, really, like how do we, um, how are we more inclusive? And people talk a lot about diversity and diversity is really important, but inclusion and agency sure how we manifest that so from a gender perspective i think as a society we're retraining we're trying to change the course of 
you know, almost thousands of years of human nature, right? That women are inferior or incapable of doing certain things. Or if they are capable, (sighs) that means they're nasty (laughs) or mean or Uh bitchy or whatever. I mean, there's a million words. Uh, I've been called many of them. Um, Or bossy, which I feel indifferent about at this point. Mm -hmm. Um, we're still getting used to that. And I think it's easy for us to say as a country that we really love strong women. And I even know a lot of people who say that, but when, when it comes to to the decision making, man, you know, it really takes people off women wanting more women wanting promotions, women wanting leadership, women running for office, women Mm. running for, you know, going after big jobs or going after equal pay. Um, it's a, it still shocks me sometimes how much, people don't like that in our society. Sure. So we're still fighting against that a little bit. So what we did the other night, which was really fun, amazing, 120 something women. Yep. Around these tables, um, in a gorgeous setting, by the way, Dana. Ted's well done. West. Well yep. done. You, you nailed it. It was Thank great. You. Food was great too. Um, Agreed. What you and I had discussed was, you know, this is kind of like the year of the woman. I mean, right. in a lot of ways, look at what just happened in 2018. Record number of women elected running into office. Legis- yeah, yeah, running for office, but also elected into legislative positions. Correct. Um, pretty phenomenal. But our federal government still only pr- comprised of 24% female legislators. You know, so we still a long way to go. We've made big strides. So we were talking about that and like, right. what does that mean for us? Um, and we also start, started talking about male dominated workforces, which in many ways is almost every workforce. And even if you work with majority women on your team, it often still feels like you're in a male dominated industry or all the leaders in your company are men or, mm-hmm. you know, maybe all of the people who lead your local government or, you know, wherever there's still these really heavy male dominated portions of our society. And how do we as women navigate that? And it's what I loved about the other night is that we really got to dig into, it's not about us versus them. I mean, we all love men. (laughs) Like I love working with men. I have so many amazing guy Mm -hmm. friends. I'm married to a man who I think is a phenomenal person. So it's not about us versus them or, you know, we want to take what you have and give it to us. You know, it's it's not about that. It's about, we want the access to the same opportunities that you've had and we want we want to be free right from the sub from the conscious and unconscious bias that impacts women's upward mobility that's really it we just want the same opportunities we also want to make the same amount of money for the same work right and and there's a perception thing right and we're getting into this now with you know a whole new election cycle starting um but you just look at the way, I mean, studies have been done on this. We've talked about this before. A woman could say something and everybody hates it. And mm-hmm. and a man says it and everyone's like, oh, he's really strong. Like, what a great ideator. You know, he's mm. really brilliant. But if a woman says it, it's... Right. The double you know, standards yeah, obviously interesting. still And still that exist. was happening to me um, in one of my last big corporate jobs. Hmm. Uh, I figured out and I had to kind of educate my male colleagues was we'd be in a meeting. I'm the youngest person off I was often um in this environment and usually the only woman and if I would say okay guys this is what I think we should do this is how we're going to solve this problem or hey why don't we take this path or why don't you guys go do this or you guys go do that right that's part of my job solving issues uh and everyone say oh no we're not going to do it that way that's a bad idea and not 30 seconds later 
one of my male colleagues would repeat exactly what I had just said, almost to a T. Yeah. And everyone would be like, oh, that's a great idea. We should do that. And I'm sitting there going, I just <laughs> said that. Okay. So they started to figure it out. Hmm. And then they were kind of in on it with me. So sometimes we would strategize before a meeting on how we wanted the outcome of a meeting to be. Okay. And it really stunk that even though I was the person who should be the strategist, um, I wasn't able to share it. At Mm. least I was able, we all recognized the bias in the room, which is, it just sounds better coming from a man. And I still have to do that sometimes. I still on certain pitches with certain clients and audiences. I know I'll take, I have to take a male colleague with me because I know the audience well enough to know they need to see a man in the room to believe, to take it seriously, that the work I'm showing them on the wall that I've done is really my work. Isn't that interesting? So infuriating. So we talked about this a little bit the other night at the dinner. How do you navigate and how do we engage our male colleagues and partners and friends and leaders and mentors, which many of my mentors have been men. Right. How do we engage them more in this process? Mm -hmm. How can we educate and make them more aware and also encourage them to go off and make themselves more aware to do their own work in reading and understanding about what it's like for women, especially women of color in the workplace. So I loved that we got to dig into that a little bit. Likewise. Thank you for co-hosting with me. That was great. Thank you. It was wonderful. for all the work that you're doing with the Brave Millennial and just all the work that you do with all these big projects and being able to be like a forerunner. Like we need the women that are um, Mm -hmm. stepping into these roles that are like educated and that are like... I think it's all about too just showing up and doing a great job. Yeah. I don't need to go in and tell everyone. Having the fortitude as well. I think eights are pretty good at this, but like having the fortitude to say like, I know that I'm I'm going to get knocked down some. I know that I'm oh, going to get yeah. a lot of no's. And as you're like going up against things that are not the norm, mm-hmm. of course that does most, most of the reaction of like, Oh no, that's not going to work or no, we can't like shut down the city for a couple days in October and have this amazing, like, <laughs> right. this amazing event where we bring in th- a thousand artists, you know, right. like the, the eights that go out there and they see the vision and they see the potential mm-hmm. and they have to know, like, I know that I'm going to go get through a lot of roadblocks and I oh, might have to like so many no's. pick myself back up up again yep. and then keep on going and so I love that you continually do that um, and that you are doing awesome things in LA and visiting Orlando and I love Orlando continuing the the good work especially for the equality of women because I think that, that is the end goal no matter where we are in the spectrum of a right. lot of things right so it, the 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 biggest is like pushing just like yeah let's get paid the same yeah. it's almost 2020 and it also starts with just believing that you are yeah, worth it, worth it. That we could spend a whole other podcast. I know, I know. <laughs> Believing you deserve it. So totally agree. Um, with all of these things, I know that we all have a like a lot on our plate and mm-hmm. are all doing a lot of things. And so my the final thing that I want to talk about is rest. Yes. And I think that it's something that people don't talk about mm-hmm. very often and they don't do enough. Well, our society uh, glamorizes busyness. Right. It glamorizes the hustle. It is really destructive though. Yeah, it in, is. In um, places that you obviously we all need to take care of ourselves and mm-hmm. recognize. I think the Enneagram also helped me recognize, hey, when I'm unhealthy, this is what it looks like mm-hmm. and here's the things that you want to like keep an eye out for so that you can mm-hmm. um, hopefully redirect or try to somehow like know that like, okay, my best self is over here. How do I get back over here and mm-hmm. what, are the, what are the avenues that will get me there? And so with rest, um, I would love to know kind of how you 
Um, like what for you helps you to restore, renew, reset, take a step mm. back from the world so that we can offer our best selves to the world. So I know about myself that I require a lot of alone time. Mm, mm-hmm. I need it. Yeah. I need a space to be by myself, to collect my thoughts, to reset, to strategize. I have a high capacity. I'm sure a lot of eights are this way. I have high capacity. Right. For, for extreme you're, you're, you're work. putting out. Yes. Your output is very high. Very high. But then after a sustained amount of like very intense output, I crash really right. hard. Uh, and last year after Comic-Con, I crashed really hard because it was such a, it was such a physically high. challenging yeah. time. Um, so I crash and I need that. And, and I'm working this year to get to be stronger. I'm back with my trainer. I'm changed my diet. I'm trying to become mm-hmm. literally a stronger physical person mm. so that this year when I get, you know, into some big project cycles, I'm physically in better shape to handle those things. Right. And I know the come down will be hard again. You know, it's like, it's hard to work 10 days in a row, you know, with very little sleep and you're in the sun and tremendous amount of pressure. But, um, I block those times in for myself. Now I do a lot more boundary setting Okay, and we could have a whole conversation (laughs) about setting boundaries, but I also block off my time. Like I won't, um, to the best of my ability, I make sure that I don't have to take like two trips back-to-back weekends Mm -hmm. or uh, a business trip followed by, you know, another personal trip or something. The travel for me was really hard. The last few years I was constantly on a plane. Right. This year I made it all the way to this March. Three months. Up top. Yes. With no airplanes. It was, it was amazing. Sure. So blocking that time and saying no to stuff. I just started saying, no, I can't do that. Even if it's something I really want to do, I know, um, where you are that I want to do. Yeah. It's just knowing what I'm capable of. So setting boundaries has Mm. been huge for me because otherwise I'll just burn, burn, burn until I've burned out. And I've burned out in in the past really hard. Sure. And had to, I mean, hospital hard. Oh, yeah. Right. Yeah. And have had, you know, major health issues because of the stress and Mm. because I pushed myself to a place where uh, I wasn't mentally or physically healthy. So now I don't want to live in that zone and having my own business allows me, you know, to not only choose the projects I want to do, but to also choose the things I don't want to do. Sure. And I protect my time as much as I can right? um, so that I have space. And you know what I love to do? Well, I love taking baths. I'm very into like the whole like bubble bath. Yeah. I'm really into like light some candles, get a million things that smell good and put them in my bath water. Recently gotten into like on my Sabbath day off, like I will scrub the tub. Oh yeah. And I will light the candles and I will take a bath for a long time. I will refill the hot water. Like I will just really go for it. That's really helpful for me. Um, I love, uh, my husband has turned me into such an outdoors person, which I'm really grateful for because as a kid, I think because I was a girl and girly, nobody wanted to like take me camping or right. my mom didn't want me to get dirty. So oh, I wasn't okay. very outdoorsy, but mm-hmm. I actually really enjoy being outdoors. And here in Florida, you know, we got really into fishing and kayaking and all this stuff I never thought I could do. Right. We recently went snowshoeing, uh, in Sequoia national park, I two different, we, we had such a great time. We went back three weeks later. Um, so 
replay like recharging myself mm-hmm. in nature Being connected to nature yes mm-hmm. and like really a stunning nature right and also challenging myself to do things i didn't think i was capable of doing like snowshoeing six miles um yeah that type of stuff really energizes me and then i re- mm. like when i'm there i also rest like we i sleep like really well right uh the sleep thing is a big deal the sleep i mean Same. as we get older i feel yep. I mean, I had used to be able to like stay out till two and get up at nine. You know what? Yeah. Can't do that anymore. No. Um, So I protect my sleep. Mm -hmm. Um, And I like to watch television. Same. I'm not ashamed. No. I love to watch TV. If I'm. What's currently? Oh my gosh. Well, I just finished Shrill on Hulu with AD Bryant. I keep on hearing about this. Oh girl. It's fantastic. I'm so sad it was only six episodes. I need more. Okay. It's really good. Well, Game of Thrones is about to come back. Final season. Yeah. Big, big deal for those of us who I have been, been yes. <laughs> committed for a long so time. So I have heard. I am not on that train, um, but. You know, my guiltiest pleasure is like British crime dramas. Yeah. Like Broadchurch? Like Broadchurch. The Fall? The Fall. Um, um, Endeavor. Yeah. Oh, Endeavor. Oh, yeah. Okay. Oh, yeah. I need to watch that one. Um, I love. Did you watch Cardinal? Ooh, no. Which I don't think was British. It was American. Cardinal. No, I love a good, good. Yeah, I love I, a good mystery. Murder, thriller, mystery. Crime. Oh, yeah. True, true Detective. Yes. Well. The second season, garbage. First season, True Detective. Let's just let's just only talk about the first season. I mean, that's really all I there is for me. halfway through the season three. Not I so. I finished it. Not so? Not I worth didn't, it? I didn't love you didn't, it. didn't love it? Yeah. Okay. He's so good. But, um, oh, man, first season, Ali. I know, oh, but I love shows like that. And I love to just unplug and really get immersed lost into in the stories. Story. That's what I need. It's the Same. only thing Turns that helps off me turn, brain. Yes, that helps me turn off my brain. You know, it's funny cause my husband plays the piano. So for him playing uh, the piano is his thing. Where can I get thing. one of those? I mean, I don't know. I don't know. I mean, I, I literally Whoa. found him in a conference room one day and was like, you're cute. <laughs> Let's go out. Um, my husband plays the piano and he, I can tell, playing the piano for him because he plays by ear so he can listen to a song and like play it back. Sometimes he, it's hard to like like people like that. I know. But he's an infinite. My brother likeable. plays the oh, piano by ear yeah. and it's like maddening. I know. And you're like, how, how did you do that? Right. That's not. Oh. But he zones out doing that and turns his brain off. Right. And I turn my brain off when I'm watching like an hour long episode mm-hmm. of something that's really compelling. Right. My guiltiest pleasure is this show on I think it's TV land called Younger starring Sutton Foster and Hilary mm-hmm. Duff and Miriam Shore okay, yep. and all these amazing New York actresses. Okay. It is the best. I've gotten so many people hooked on it, which I'm fine with. That is my guilty pleasure okay. like millennial Fair drama show. Okay. It's okay. like a grown up it's like a grown-up teen drama <laughs> but like not to knock the teen dramas i think 90210 is coming back and i'm fine with that Have you, I, like, can you ever replace the first no, one you can't i always, no, you can't. I, I when my hair especially was like a reddish auburn mm. um i got sydney yeah from 90210 oh, yeah. for like most of my growing up years well i yep. was very into saved by the bell continued to be so same kelly kapowski was you know, Duh. It for me. Yeah. I mean, I who did not want to be. Kelly I mean, Kowski? I met her recently. What? It was a big moment, yes. and she was oh so gosh. kind, and it felt like did you thirty watch, years of waiting. Um, it was white great. collar. 
I didn't watch White Collar. I've seen a few I, episodes of it, okay. but I, have, I haven't watched the whole thing. Yes. But Matt I love Palmer. her. Her cookbook's great, too, by the way. Great. Um, she needs somebody to cook it for me. Yeah, she is amazing. <laughs> um, so, yeah, TV is really a thing for me. Mm-hmm. I have a few podcasts I love to listen to, um, especially in LA Traffic. Podcasts have really become life important. Yeah. Yeah. Just driving downtown all the time or driving to the valley or wherever I'm going. No, thank you. I need I need something playing. Right. Um and yeah, TV. I'm I love the new Will and Grace. Will and Grace is back. I do need to I it's need fabulous. It. Okay. I need to get on and that. And you know what? I've been watching old shows. Megan Mullaney. Oh, Megan Mullally. She's Mullally. awesome. Sorry. Yeah, yeah. She's awesome. Um but I've been watching old shows. You know what I watched a few months ago? What's that? I watched the first season of Cheers. Well, I watched the first five yeah. seasons, but the first, oh okay. my gosh. Absolutely fantastic. Okay. And so brilliant. After season five, it kind of falls off after Shelley Long leaves. But I'm telling you, fabulous. Great writing. I mean, I love something that I can binge. Yeah, it was that great. I can get just in there. And you know what and... I started watching at night, like having on in the background because it reminds me of my childhood? <laughs> Frasier. No joke. No joke. How Frasier. does it remind you of your Because childhood? my mom and dad were watching it when I was in the oh, 90s when yeah, I was a yeah, kid. Yeah. Okay, so I would enough. be going to sleep, and then in the other room, I could hear Frasier playing. Got it. And I was like, man, I wonder if that show's any good. And I started watching it with Dylan. I was like, this show is hilarious. <laughs> this is, you know, 90s sitcoms. Right. Like, yes. Making a comeback in my Gold. life. Um, Gold. So yeah, that's how I like to unplug. That sounds... And uh, sometimes spa days, like it sounds like, yeah, going for a just yep. facial and mm-hmm. unplugging. But yeah, rest is a big deal. Rest is a big deal. So I think everybody, when somebody tells me that they can't come to something because they're so tired that they have to, I really respect that actually, because I get it. I get it. Sometimes you yep. just need to be like, you know what? I can't. Because then you can be the best version of yourself. You can. Or at least try to get there mm-hmm. to, by recharging. Thank you so much for spending Aww. this time with me it was great on my podcast. You. Congrats on the podcast. Thank and you. And the dinner party house and all these yeah, all the awesome things. things. I'm very proud of you. Thank and you. And I think what you provide the community is really important. And I love Orlando, as you know. Uh, and it's been really nice being back here. So thank you. Um, thank you. To the next time. Yeah, let's do it. Right. Shall, we, shall we cheers shall at we, the end here? Yeah. I'm in. Mine's it. almost done. <laughs> <laughs> cheers. Cheers. Thank you a million times over for listening to Cocktails and Conversation Podcast. I hope you have enjoyed all of it. If you have, would you do me a huge favor and rate, comment, and subscribe for more Cocktails and Conversation? 